0: I'm Simon Rimmer and this is Grilling, the podcast brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues in which top chefs share their passion for food. Now, as well as learning about the culinary histories of our guests, we also explore the practical side of cooking, both indoors and out, of course, with a few tips, mouthwatering ingredient combinations and recipe ideas thrown in along the way. Amongst those who've already joined us on the podcast, Ken Hom, Angela Hartnett, Nadia Hussain, The Hairy Bikers and Tom Kerridge. So be sure to check out our back catalogue if you haven't already. Some cracking interviews on there, if I do say so myself. But today... We're grilling Atul Kutchar, born in Jamshedpur. Did I say that right, Atul?
1: Absolutely. In
0: India, Atul gained a diploma in hotel management before graduating to the five-star Deluxe Oberoi? Oberoi. Oberoi. Oberoi Hotel in New Delhi, where he worked as a sous chef in one of the complex's five restaurants. He moved to the UK in 1994 and became the first Indian chef to earn a Michelin star in 2001 whilst working at Tamarind. He's since opened several of his own restaurants, all of which are brilliant, written books, made countless TV appearances, won a second star for his first restaurant, Banaras, and is also a dear friend of mine. Atul, welcome. Well, thank you. Do you think you were always destined to be a chef?
1: It always felt like that, Simon. You know, I grew up in India, so if you know any Indian parents, you would know how (laughs) persuasive they are and how they are persuasive enough to push their kids towards academics. Luckily, my parents were slightly different. My dad had a catering business. My grandfather was a baker. Uh, my mom was a teacher. She was into academics, but she was also that there should be a natural nurturing of children. And she always said, find your own path. You know, don't, don't fall into the same tread what your dad is doing or a mom is doing or your siblings are doing. I was number five in the family. Wow. All right. So, so above you, what have they all done then? They are all doctors. <laughs>
0: Uh, if oh, that's, my, <laughs> that's such a cliche, isn't it? I, I, I was hoping you were going to
1: say, you know, what is it? <laughs> I, I don't I'll, know, what, what, what is it when works in a donkey sanctuary? <laughs> but I'll make it more fun. They are all not medical doctors. Yeah. They are all academic doctors. Wow. So, uh, mathematician, English, uh, psychology, and I, sadly, I lost a sister who, who was also a master's. Oh, yeah. So, four women above me yeah. and mother. So, growing up, it felt like I had five mothers, uh, so you know when people talk about me too movement, yeah, I wanted to start that long ago yeah, me too movement never happened to be honest i was I was the very minor voice in the family, and my dad said, "Look, this house is ruled by women. just listen, your life will be very happy
0: It's funny, though isn 't it because I always think that i've been surrounded by strong women all of my life, and I love that I think it's a it's an incredibly brilliant thing to happen, so my Grandmother, my great-grandmother was the first female dentist wow. um, in the Northwest. Fantastic! And then my grandmother and my great-aunt um, drove ambulances during the war. And my mum is a really strong woman. So, so I've been surrounded all the time by strong women. And I think that, that there's something ab- about that that almost makes you look at the well, You only can look at the world in the way that you do it, but you don't have that kind of matriarchy or patriarchy kind of thing. You just think people are people.
1: I find that you know wherever you have had that strong influence of women in your life through your family and your friends, uh, the upbringing is uh, more subtle, uh, more mm-hmm. rounded up. People are more easy to approach. I, that's what I found. This is my personal experience. So that that's the setup. So whilst you weren't sent down that traditional
0: route, all of your all of your older siblings all became doctors.
1: So I, you know, I when I was in class tenth. It's equivalent to GCSE in this country. Uh, My father had a small canteen in my school, uh, which he looked after once in a while, and I helped him there. And I quite liked playing with food, uh, being there with him and folding samosas and frying aloo chops for him. I absolutely adored that job and didn't tell him anything that time, but I went on to do my A-levels. And then there was a crunch time to choose the career. And I saw all my friends sitting down for entrance exams for either engineering or medical. There were only two options that yeah. time. So quite reluctantly, I sat for medical entrance. Very sadly, I got through as well. But- <laughs> Very sadly. <laughs> I mean, I, I sort of think when I, when I did my A-levels, I did French, Spanish
0: and art because they were the only things I was any good at. And that all the kids who did in medicine, they were the really bright ones. So you, as ever, I- control, you're selling yourself short.
1: <laughs> no, I don't know, Simon, because I, I always felt that I wouldn't belong there. Even if I go there, I would be a very sad person. So mm-hmm. dad always said, look, choose whatever you choose for your life very carefully. Those days where, you know, you couldn't go back and retrain and have a new job, to be honest. Uh, those were days that you choose one thing and you will stay with it all your life. So I thought long and hard about it. And I told dad that I think I want to go for hotel degree rather than medical degree. He said, if that's what your heart says, do that. So he made me sit for hotel degree entrance exams as well, and I got through in flying colors. Uh, And those days you had to choose three colleges within Mm. India, and there were only 11 colleges that time. So he made me choose one in South India because my family comes from Punjab, North India, and I grew up in East India in Jamshedpur. So dad said, look, you know North and East very well. Why don't you try South? He said, I've never been to South India. You know, it's a large country with wonderful people, great cuisines. Go down there and you will learn a lot.
0: Before we can jump to that, because I, I've asked you this many times, I always feel incredibly ignorant and rude when I say it. But just paint a little picture of culturally the east to
1: the north to the to the south. Where do the differences lie? So I always say, Simon, that you know, if you want to understand Indian cuisine, let's throw this notion out of the window. That there is something called Indian cuisine. There is nothing called Indian cuisine. There are cuisines of India and north, South, East, West, if you break it down in terms of ingredients, spices, agriculture, you will land up as a very confused human <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's what works for South doesn't work for east, what works for east doesn't work for north, so you have to understand in terms of its culture, its people, you have to travel India, you have to get into the grain of India and understand that how things work around here, and being a chef, I worked out that easier for me to understand all the flavors is through the oil we use in cooking. So North India would use uh, ghee, butter, or sunflower oil. South India would use coconut oil. East India would use mustard oil. West India would use cold-pressed sesame seed oil or groundnut oil, peanut oil. Now, each and every oil has got a smoking point. So you, you heat the oil, and then there are spices, loads of spices we have. Each and every spice has got a minuscule amount of essential oil in it. And my job as a cook is to drag that spice oil into the cooking oil because that oil becomes the carrier of the flavor throughout the dishes. So that kind of disperses in mi- minuscule molecules through the curry, and then that's the flavor you get. So higher the smoking point, the better is the extraction of the spices. Lower the smoking point, more subtle is the extraction. So based on that, you can decide. The moment you put food in your mouth, Pungensi tells you, it's coming from north, south, east, west. And then there's an underlying flavor of the oil as well, which tells you, okay, I this is where it's coming that. from. So I practice that and I preach that. And I, I feel that that's one of the best ways to understand Indian food. And were you aware of that?
0: So when, when we go back then to, to the time when you were applying to do hotel degree management, because you've been in the east, you've been in the north, were you aware of those differences then?
1: I was very well aware of it. You know, I, you know not then, to be honest, but as practicing. Yeah. But the flavors, I was, they were quite strongly different. In East India, you would use mustard oil, you would use onion seeds, you would use more garlic, whereas down South, they would use coconut oil, always very subtle. Chili was a predominant flavor, but in a very subtle manner. If I threw that same amount of chili in mustard oil, I think my, my head will blow <laughs> off. Whereas in South, that amount of chili just brought very subtle flavor. Curry leaves, coconut, tamarind, All those flavors were playing around me. And even if I brought some of my East Indian flavors and I used garlic uh, and onion seeds into it, they absolutely gave totally different flavor, which I wasn't aware of. I thought, wow, this is amazing combination. I've never created this. Gave it to my South Indian friends. He said, ah, this is an East Indian boy playing with our flavor. So we had fun. We had laugh talking about it. But I realized that there is so much depth in this cuisine. There is so much to learn. And with time, I have to explore more and more.
0: All right so I am I'm, I'm struggling not to kind of want to delve straight into all the stuff, but I want to backtrack a little bit so so when you were growing up then
1: as as a as a small child who cooked at home so mum and dad both cooked at home uh mum was more straightforward food you know chapati and and a dal and a roti whenever mum wasn't around dad would cook and that would be a feast because th- dad was a self-taught cook and he only knew how to blow it up <laughs> he, he would always make it big and beautiful so his flavors were always bold and he he was quite an experimental chef, self-taught person. So his flavors were always more welcomed as uh, among among the siblings and myself. But mom's flavor was beautiful. You know, I, I recently wrote a book called uh, Curries Every Day and I was cooking one of my mom's recipe, which is mustard leaves with potatoes. And she always cooked in iron wok with mustard oil and uh-huh. garlic. And I cooked that a lot of times on stainless steel pan, never got that flavor. And then I thought, Mom, you always used to cook in an Iron box, So I did that and same flavors came back. Wow. It was, it was such a nostalgia cooking that. So mom's flavors are still there, uh, Simon. You know, the one dal, which I always, it's in my every restaurant menu, to be honest, and it's called my mom's dal. It's a black dal. I've had it. I've had, You've had it many had it. times. Absolutely. <laughs> so that, that dal, only mom could cook like that. And I've kind of copied that. I think I'm quite close to it. And whenever I make my mom taste it, she's 90 now. She said, you'll get there one day.
0: <laughs> I, love, I love that. Still now, I mean, my my mum does an amazing lasagna because my mum never liked making a white sauce. So she actually uses cottage cheese and lasagna, which That's she fantastic. just sort of did by accident. And I really love it because it's got an acidity in it and I've made it for her and it's the same thing. She goes, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> You can never ever be as good as your mum, can oh, you? you know? no, no matter what we achieve, let's not try it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when your dad was, I know your dad had a, a catering business, but for your dad to cook at home, was that unusual when you were growing up with with your sort of you know with your contemporaries?
1: So you know, uh, my, my grandparents lived in another town, my mum's parents, and mum would frequent them. She would go and look uh, look after them once in a while. So those were the days when dad would take over. He'll become mummy and daddy both. Uh, he will cook up lunch boxes for school and drop us to school and all that, come back and there'll be dinner. So I always felt I craved for those days (laughs) because the food was so good. (laughs) I bet you've never told your mum that. Oh, I did. (laughs) I I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. So I, I always rated
0: I'd like food, to apologise really. on behalf of your son already for his like absolute disrespect to you as a as a very as a very elegant 90-year-old lady. I apologize. <laughs> I'll
1: tell him, Simon, I'll tell him. Now, you made me feel guilty about it.
0: <laughs> um, so 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 dad would kind of do that. So mum would both cook. All right, so so we've we've established that. And then you go off and you go to do hotel management. Did you think that when you were going to do hotel management that you would end up in a kitchen, or did you think you would be on the, on the management side of hotels? So
1: initially I was open-minded. I wanted to explore and see what comes my way. Uh, but as soon as I entered the kitchens there, and it was called BTK, Basic Training Kitchen, I found myself to be very easy with kitchen equipment, the knife, the cutting board, all the etiquettes of kitchen. I belong there. So by the end of year one, I had kind of made up my mind that this is where I'm going. So I remain sincere in my efforts to do well in all the subjects. But I had extra focus on kitchen and that's where I landed.
0: So where are we? What year are we in now at all? So
1: this was 87. 1987. Okay. How old are you? Oh, God. I was born in 69. You calculate. Uh, okay. So you are <laughs> six years of this. You're 52. Yeah, I'm
0: 52. Wow. I didn't think you were that old. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, you're wearing very well. You're very wearing very well. Okay. so So, nice. so, you, so you made that decision because obviously you, you've said that your parents were sort of quite Easy going for, for Indian parents. Were they happy with that decision?
1: They were very happy. You know, when, when I, I remember packing up my bags to go to Chennai, and my dad's younger brother, cousin though, uh, who was, he was vice president of one of uh, Tata's companies, right. so he came home to see me. I literally got told off. He said, You know, you such an intelligent boy, and uh, you are heading out to become uh, either a cook or a waiter. Uh, you will peel onions or wash cup and plates all your life. Uh, you are How right it. he was. How right. Uh, <laughs> we still do it. No, no still matter still how far over so, our businesses, we still do that. <laughs> some, sometimes I still land up doing pot washing. And exactly. I, I remember my uncle, I said, uncle, I'm still doing it. <laughs> yeah, but I think it was his love and concern. He wanted me to do well in life. Uh, but after I had done what I have done in my life, he, he came to see me a few times in London and he said, I'm so proud of you and I'm so glad that you didn't listen to me and you followed your own dream. And you've done so well. I'm so proud of you. So it was it was a real moment for me because he was seen as God in our family. He was he was some, somebody who had achieved big. So to get told off by me was heartbreaking, but I had to convince him that I'm taking the right decision. And to hear from him that, yeah, you've done well, it was really the best reward. Do, do you think as well,
0: because, I mean, the, the way that you speak all the time is of care and knowledge and a desire to understand. Do you think that when you were, at Catering College that that came across to your lecturers as well? Because I can't imagine you've ever been any different to the being quite in, intense in a nice way.
1: I've all, always had quest for knowledge. So, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to dig to find out more and more about whatever I'm doing or whatever subject I have in my hand. So I always did that, but I was I was a boy as well. I did my naughty stuff and, you know, I, I ran away and uh, skipped college to watch a great at movie. All. I really hope your mum is listening <laughs> to this. I think she knows about it now. <laughs>
0: Okay, but but were you were you top of the class? I, Be honest. Don't put yourself down like you always gosh. do. Were, were you a, a very successful student? I was a good
1: student. Yeah, I was a good student. I um, I never had any any red marks or got told off by my teacher. Never. Yeah. So I was always an example for others, which was very annoying because you were never liked by others. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I is just, just turning into a therapy session. Did you did you get lots of hugs when you were young? <laughs>
1: All right. So you, so you graduate. And then what happened? So uh, once I graduated, uh, towards the end of the year, they, they have campus interviews. And there were four major hotel groups in India at that time. Obroys and Taj, ITC and ITDC. there were four major groups. And all came interviews, one after the other. Obroys were the first one. And obroys School is a very unique place. They only take 10 or 12 students each year from the entire country. And you know how wow. big it is. And is that still the same now? Still the same. Wow. Still the same. So they, they take 10, 12 kitchen management trainees and 10 or 12 management trainees. And they train them to be the best, best of the best. So uh, they came to my college and I was lucky enough to get selected. I was the only one from my college that year to get selected, which was a bit sad because other mates of mine didn't get through that college. And I was absolutely gobsmacked that I got selected. I had no idea that I would go through this. I didn't sit for any other exams after that because has had this condition. If you get through our college, you will not appear in any other colleges. Yeah. So I decided not to. So I, I went through and then I went to... Where did, they, where did they place you? Because I assume if you pass that, then they'll tell you where you're... So uh, Obroy, Obroy have a have a training school in New Delhi. Okay. So you are moved there for three years and you go through intense training program. So it's like going for your master's degree.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I did that for three years in New Delhi. Uh, and worked in the several hotels within, the, within Delhi as well. And then I got posted to, during my training only, I got posted to different units. Uh, so I was sent to Calcutta, I was sent to uh, Mumbai, I was sent to Bangalore, I was sent to Bhumneshwar. Small stints, but I had to train with different chefs in different, different training departments. And I graduated from there and started working uh, under a French chef that time. He uh, was French-German. Uh, his name was Professor, uh, Professor, I'm calling him Professor, it's uh, Koenig, uh, I, I just call him Chef Koenig. Uh-huh. And, and where was that? Uh, in the in the Obray, New Delhi. There was, okay, a, there was a French restaurant which he headed called La Rochelle. In his time, he was he was in his 50s, I think, that time. And he was two Michelin star uh, in Germany, uh, Germany struck Switzerland. And he had come down to work in India for three years with Obreis. Uh, and i worked under him as his junior sous chef
0: but when you were doing the so when you do that that 3 year masters that 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 training program so you then step
1: outside of indian cuisine and it i take it it's kind of it's a global pattern so, so obrois always had this that they didn't want to make indian chefs or chinese chefs or japanese chefs they wanted to make good chefs yeah they wanted you to be a great kitchen manager so to speak understand each and every cuisine excel in as much as you can but be a good manager, so to speak, so you, you can carry whatever value you're given. And I think that's what rounded me up. So I, I trained with Chinese chefs. I trained with Japanese chefs. I trained with Thai chefs. I was very lucky to train with someone like uh, Chef Kunig. And after I left Oberoi, and that was the first time when I came to London, I actually headed an Indian kitchen. So I, I trained in Indian kitchen while working for Oberoi. I never headed an Indian kitchen, to be honest. Right. So I came to London to open an Indian restaurant. this is
0: 1994?
1: 94. Yeah. Tamron. Okay. So immediately when I started putting food on the plate, my food was very different to how Indian food was seen here.
0: So this is this is quite a crucial point for me with with you. Yes. Uh, and, you know, we touched on it when we were saying about when you've grown up about the whole thing about that, you know, north, south, east, west, and there's different cuisines and smoking points of oils et cetera, et cetera. So how would you hone your craft that had become Ashul Kutchar's food then? How, how did that happen? Where, where did this develop?
1: So, you know, uh, when I went through all these trainings, you know, learning uh, how, how to make a sushi and how to do proper teriyaki, uh, how to make a proper stir fry in Chinese style, uh, how to make a proper Thai curry, how to pound the spices, you do this, you don't do that, learning from all those great masters came very handy when I came here. And I, I knew my food, I knew my cuisine, I had practiced it. But to be able to use all those essential techniques that I've used and create something of my own, though I was experimenting, Simon, I I could have been a big failure also. But if I didn't put my neck out, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I just didn't want to go back to cook traditional Indian food. I wanted to modernize it. So I I had this quest that Indian food deserves a lot more and we have not done enough for it. So I started experimenting putting food beautifully on the plate, uh, using different techniques to bring out more flavors out of the same sauce. And all that started coming out together. It took time. You know, from 94, it took 2001 to get the star. And I made mistakes on the way as well. I had my dad come on to see me. I think it was 96 he came here, 96 stroke 97. And he came to Tamarind and said, a typical Indian father never told me he's coming. He arrived and he, <laughs> he, he said, come pick me up at the airport. I said, okay, dad, come along. <laughs> Very welcome. So then he, he went on. He wandered around on his own because I was busy working. So I saw him on the weekend. He came on Saturday lunch. Can you cook me a three-course meal? I said, "Oh, man, old man has gone posh. He wants three-course meal. Okay, have it <laughs> cooked, cooked for him." And I see he wasn't very happy looking at my food and eating that time. And this is ninety-six, not ninety-seven. I I was still in a little bit of traditional mold that time. Dad said, "Okay, uh, after after your lunch service, do you have a break?" I said, "Yeah." So he said, "Shall shall we go for a walk?" So whenever Dad said, "Let's go for a walk," I knew it's telling <laughs> off. So I was a massive telling off. <laughs> Hyde Park, three rounds of that. You can imagine how much wow. telling of us. So, he, so why? What, what didn't he like? He, he said, you know, I told you, you migrated here. You, what have you learned? You got okra on your menu. You got a fish called pomfrey on your menu. You are using some tiger prawns which come from nowhere. Uh, there are so many brilliant chefs around in this country. In the last three, four days I've been here, I've been to La Gavroche, I've been to this place. Old man had done his research. He went to all those places. He had booked those places in advance before he arrived there. So I was was quite impressed that he had done that. He'd gone to all the markets. He had met the butchers. He had met the fishmongers. And he said, I think you need to explore a bit more, Sam. You know, you've done a good training, but you're being too safe. Come out of your shell, start pushing the boat out. And I immediately got it, what he meant. And then, what a
0: beautiful piece of advice, though.
1: Great advice, you know.
0: And, advice. and that whole thing about parental advice done from love rather than kind of like just to be just to be a pain in the backside. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. So after he left, I, I actually went straight to uh, Chef Alberu and said, uh, "My father was here for a meal," and he said, "You must come and try to get get an apprenticeship with you uh, and eat here as well." So Chef Alberu asked me, "Where where do I work and what do I do?" So I told him. So immediately befriended me and I did some few services there, learned a lot. I um, want to stop you there because this is a big turning point. This is, this is a big turning point. So I want to do the barbecue
0: stuff because this is where we start getting... You, that, that stage of your career is brilliant. So lovely listeners, hold that thought in your head while we have some fun for a few minutes. So um, what we do, we do our chef challenge and our little competition as well. Okay. So we talk about cooking outdoors and then we do our barbecue and a... See what we're doing there. It's clever, isn't it? Uh, we ask our guests the same questions, same five questions every week, and then we get you to do a recipe challenge after that. So we have favorite barbecue. Well, it was actually, before that, do you barbecue? Do you cook on flames? A lot. Yeah,
1: a lot. I, you know, I being Indian, so I, I was quite an outdoor child growing up. Being born to the parents I had, uh, outdoor cooking was quite fun thing. And every month, uh, we would go out for a picnic. And it was never that you took food from home, cooked food. You always took pots, pans, everything with you and made uh, makeshift stoves with the stones or bricks, find the twigs and then cook on that. So it was oh, wow. proper wild beautiful. style. So I, I had very, very beautiful upbringings. When people talk about outdoor, I said, yeah, don't talk to me. I've done it all. So absolutely loved it.
0: It's funny. I, we, we had um, Anita Rani um, on Sunday Brunch a few weeks ago and she was saying when she was growing up, she grew up in Bradford, but her parents still use traditional kind of Indian. She said she used to hate it. So you go for a picnic in a park in Bradford, and they would do exactly <laughs> that. She said, oh, "Can't we just have egg sandwiches?" So you know, she she was the complete reverse. She wanted to kind of she wanted to fit in. All right, okay. So, so do you have a favourite barbecuing menu memory then, or outdoor cooking memory?
1: One fantastic one, Simon. Uh, my my father was always experimental. So he would he would cook things which others wouldn't even think of. So he used to, you know, first time I learned from him that fish, you can open the gut, put the flavors in, and then he would not just put it on the grill. He would tie it to a piece of wood and then cook it slowly on that. And then burnt wood, that wood, as it would burn, it would char the fish from inside also. And then when you open the skin and eat it, he used to make us eat with hand. He says, you will appreciate food only with your hands. So please eat with your hands. And we used to eat with the hand. and it was so beautiful. Those those flavors just come gushing back. I, I want that now. <laughs> I, I absolutely. That that sounds absolutely incredible. And so I've done that. I've kind of emulated that doing on normal uh, barbecues. What yeah. we get here. So because I, I haven't gone on to do the wild things with my kids, which yeah. I should do.
0: I can. I've almost. I've got. I've got the smell in my head. You can just. <laughs> you just imagine that incredible smell and the texture.
1: And, you know, and that whole thing of eating with your hands as well. I like think beautiful. eating with the hands is something which makes you connect to the food so much better, so much better.
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because you think as, as a chef, then always kind of telling people to, to get involved with ingredients. It's such an important thing. You know, Putting just using a wooden spoon or using a processor, it's, there's nothing like actually interacting with ingredients. It's such a lovely thing to do. Absolutely. Okay, all right. So that, that's a that's a lovely memory. Probably the best one so far. Do you have a favorite time of
1: year to, for, for cooking outside? Because I like it in the winter. So I I would say all the weathers are good, in my opinion. Uh, and growing up in India, we, we often went in the evenings rather than morning because day would become very hot. Yeah. So you go in the evening and stay there till late, late in the night, and then come back home. So those memories are beautiful. And sometimes we would pitch a tent and sleep there as well. But here in the UK, uh, I would say, Spring is my favourite time because it's cold, but not that cold. Yeah. And you can be out, uh, but there, are, there is so much happening around you. Even if you're either in woods or in your own garden, there's so much happening around you and it's very inspiring.
0: I'm with you on that. I mean, like I say, I like the woods because I like the cold. There's something, maybe something slightly primal about kind of cooking outside in the cold. And it, it's, it's a better time to barbecue for me as well because the air is more moist and you get more out of the ingredients. But I do think there's something nice about, having a jacket on and cooking Absolutely. outside and eating, sitting outside. It is just lovely.
1: And also, you know, Simon, if it's too hot, I'll drink too much beer and I'll get drunk. So it's... I find that if it's too cold. <laughs> 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 or if it's kind of just a little bit chilly or a
0: little bit warm. you saying an awful lot about me. That <laughs> Now, you, you, we've acknowledged the fact that you are an incredibly ambitious chef. Is there anything that you've kind of cooked outdoors on a barbecue that you sort of think, you
1: know what, that is brilliant. I've nailed it. So uh, I would say a biryani. Three three stroke, four years ago, I cooked it in my garden. I had not done wood cooking for a long time. And my house was still being built. So I had a lot of bricks around there. So I made a makeshift stove from the bricks and cooked on the wood. And I had this uh, iron pot uh, in which I made this biryani. And I used mustard oil. I brought all those old flavors, a lot of garlic in there. No. I, I did all funky stuff, and uh, we we cooked uh, a seafood biryani rather than chicken yeah. or any other meat. So a lot of prawn and fish were gone in. And I tell you something, I absolutely adore that dish. I thought, gosh, this is definitely three star dish. It is amazing. It's really amazing. Because well, you're standing in
0: your back garden cooking on bricks and throwing up Michigan. <laughs> Listen, is there uh, any you... inspectors <laughs> around at the moment?
1: Can they come and taste it? <laughs> but you know. Mustard oil and the fish and the garlic and uh, then rice being cooked in that, a little bit of fish stock, all those things coming together and that smokiness going from the wood, mm. it made it really special. I love a biryani. Is there, is there a tip
0: for anyone who sort of thinks, I like biryani, but I can never actually get it to be anything like I get in a great Indian restaurant? What's the tip?
1: The biggest mistake a lot of people make is they cook the rice completely mm-hmm. and then they mix with a curry. So you're basically having curried rice whereas you need to cook rice al dente, a little bit more than al dente, saute your meats or whatever you're cooking, aromates and then spices and everything, and then mix rice with that curry in layers, two or three layers, and make sure you, in every layer, it's a rich dish, it's a celebration dish, it's not an everyday dish, so you have to use a lot of butter or ghee, saffron, cream, all those things go in, and then you you can be as rich as you want to be when it comes to that, roast petals, fried nuts or fried onions and layer it up and then let it sit on the smoldering smoke or smoldering coal or at a slow speed of oven, I would say about 160 uh, degree at oven and leave it for a good 45 minutes so that that rice gets completely cooked when you take it out. The flavors, the aroma, the texture, it'll all be mind-boggling.
0: It's funny, when I, when I listen to you speak, you paint the picture really well. And I don't think there's ever been a market for audio cookbooks. But if there is, I would very much like you to kind of read them to me. I th- it feels like that CBeebies' uh, bedtime story. And <laughs> I'd, I'd like you to do it so I can just, just wrap them in a blanket and you can just read recipes to me at all <laughs> you've, and you've send, given, send me
1: off to sleep. <laughs> you've given CBBs an idea, sto- storybooks for chefs.
0: Oh. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. The problem is I feel about three o'clock in the morning. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Any disasters when you've been cooking outside?
1: Often has. Uh, to be honest. So it has happened when you don't understand the equipment you're cooking on. Mm -hmm. So whether it's gas or charcoal uh, or wood, uh, but it has happened to me with charcoal. I had marinated, I had a family gathering for 15 people and I was too ambitious and I wanted to get it done very quickly and get back to my family and enjoy the time with them. And and shamelessly, everybody expects me to cook. That's the worst, but it's okay. I, I can mourn up to you, not to on others, Yes. Yeah. So I, I went in quite early and charcoal, especially uh, with the briquettes, it, they need to burn halfway through and they need to be smoldering inside, but ash outside. Yeah. They were still red and I went in with, oh my God, wasn't that a disaster, Simon? Yeah, it's, it's what everybody does, isn't it? We've so, all done it. I learned my lesson. Yeah. So, gosh, after so many years of cooking, how could I make that such a silly mistake? But I did it, and I, I apologized. I said, okay, guys, <laughs> chicken curry now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and is there, is there a top tip? So, I mean, you've probably actually just given your top tip. That I think patience is one of the biggest ones when you barbecue.
1: Absolutely. You know, know, know your uh, fuel, the fuel you're cooking on. Understand it really well. Always uh, distribute the burning material properly. So always keep part of the barbecue without, uh, without the fuel so that there is a resting area so yeah. to speak how big or small barbecue you have always have that because there will be heat but there'll be heat which will cook it gently
0: yeah so the indirect heat always always absolutely heat. yeah okay all right now before we go on i want to let you know about a special offer we've got coming to you at weber.com forward slash grilling if you want to improve your skills on the barbecue weber are offering you a discount to attend one of their grill academies that's where you learn to dazzle your friends with your barbecuing expertise but learning from some serious mass of that, and they really, really are with different courses available to suit every standard and need. The offer is valid for grill academies in the UK. Enter the code grilling21 that's grilling21 before the 15th of October at Weber.com, and you'll get 50 pounds off when you book two tickets on a course. And again, find all the information at Weber.com forward slash grilling. By the way, the Weber website also a great place to find a host of tips for barbecuing in all weathers and seasons and loads and loads of recipes whole roast, superfood stews, you name it, and some great Indian dishes. Right, this is the bit I love best of all. So our, our chef challenge that we do every single week, if you've not listened before, then basically we give us all 45 seconds okay. to sell me a dish he'd make while having a barbecue with friends. Um, you have any cut of meat, fish or veg. Um, I need some kind of marinade or rub to go with it. I need a sauce and a cold side to go with it. Okay. Okay. So you have 45 seconds to tell me the dish. I'm just going to wrap myself in my duvet so that I'm kind of I'm all ready to do it. <laughs> uh, that's all you have 45 seconds starting
1: now. So I'll make spice rub, or I call it Bhattika chicken, Bhattika murg, which is a classic Indian rub. It's made with garlic, red chilli, lemon juice, toasted coriander seeds, and toasted cumin seeds, all kind of crushed together. And don't make too fine paste, just crushed together. 20 seconds, one. Rub it on the chicken. It goes straight on the hot barbecue. Make sure your coal is right for that. And then (laughs) (laughs) you cook it on both sides and leave it on the rest. And on the side, I would definitely give a beautiful salad. And to give something with this, I would do a mooli salad, which is my favorite. Grated mooli, tamarind dressing, which is tamarind, salt, uh, sugar, a little bit of paprika. That'll do. And you wanted a cold side as well uh, well i don't remember what i have i'm just enjoying
0: it i'm just okay. in heaven to be honest but you've gone over your 45 seconds already but just just carry on i'm just okay. I'm,
1: i am you know, enjoying my little glass of milk I, and if, uh, i'm starting to doze off i i would say if if my barbecue was still on i would make a spiced apples uh and give that as a dessert oh. to be honest they work incredibly well
0: i mean it was a one minute eight but i don't care you sorry know, that was that that, that that was delightful that that was lovely so do you, do you find that barbecue season or whenever you're barbecuing, you tend to do it more when you're entertaining? Just from the stories you're told, it seems like if there's anybody that's coming around for you to cook for, outside feels like a good place to do it.
1: So, you know, as you know, we, we like to socialize all year round, but summertime, we want to socialize a lot more because we can be outdoors. I love it when we are all around where food is happening. So in my house, whenever you come, Simon, you're more than welcome to come and stay with us as well. If you can't see me, I'm smiling quite, quite broadly <laughs> now, just planning, just looking at my diary. <laughs> the largest part in my house is my kitchen and the living room because that's where we all are all yeah. the time. We only go back to our bedrooms to sleep, but the rest of the day is just there. And step out and patio, that's where we have two or three, three now, three barbecues. Uh, and we cook on differently because charcoal, gas and wood. So I like to entertain there on patio because everybody can sit around me. I can chat to them. I hate being lonely. So that's why I designed <laughs> my kitchen so that everybody's around me. And when I'm cooking outside, everybody's out. There. Do the family cook too? All of them. All of them. So my son, my daughter, they're both. So they're the 15 and 18? Yeah, they're both yeah. very good cooks. Yeah. Uh, my wife, she's an amazing cook. My father-in-law passed away in 2013 of, due to cancer. He, he was visiting us and he just passed away sadly. So I brought my mother-in-law to live with us. She lives with us. She's an amazing cook, Simon. Yeah. You know, when you come What's home, the best thing she cooks? Because we know what your mum's best thing was, so... My, my mother-in-law, she's a magician. She's got a mid touch. She touches anything that turns into gold. She's really, really good cook. And she's four feet and something. But the <laughs> way she cooks is amazing, honestly. <sighs> I, I am
0: coming round. You Please invited do. me now. That's it. I, I am coming round. <laughs> now, before we, we move on to the business side of things, I want you to talk onions to me because you revolutionized my mind when you told me about the length of time that you cook
1: onions in relation to curries. Okay, so the first punchline is, if you want to cook Indian food, you've got to know your onions. So you've got to understand your onions. So what I do, what I always say is, there are three stages of onions. So when we cook onions, we saute onions till it's translucent. Then we go on to make the paste of it nut paste and all that to make kormas. So light gravies, lighter kind of gravies. They can be red, yellow, blue, but onions have to be cooked to that sweetness level. And then when they are light brown in color, you saute till they're light brown in color with the help of tomatoes and some spices, you achieve red color sauces, which are like chicken tikka masala kind of sauces. Then you cook onions till they're deep brown in color with the help of dark colored garam masala and onion paste, which make it even more darker. You achieve sauces like Rogan Josh and vindaloo. So, if you don't cook your onions to the right category or right standard, you will not get the desired result.
0: I love that. I remember you told me that live on Sunday brunch, and it was one of those moments when it's very rare that I'm struck for something to say. And I, you know, I, I cook a lot of Indian food, obviously not to to your standard, and I it made me
1: think. You cook good Indian food. Come on. I mean, well, well
0: I, just, I just think <laughs> I just think you know, with, have, with having a veggie restaurant, then then Indian cuisine was one of the first cuisines that we turned to because always our, our starting point was i don't want to replace meat i want to cook food that doesn't need meat and that was always the thing about it and so we obviously was was a perfect fit yeah. for that and when you told me that it made me think wow it was probably about three years ago now so i was thinking wow i've been a chef for 30 for 28 years and i've been doing it wrong <laughs> <laughs> But I love that. I think it is. A, I think it is one of the greatest pieces of advice I've ever. Of understanding, if you like that whole thing. You know, we talked about how people don't get their biryanis right, etc. That with curries, I think that that onion tip or onions tip is such a great thing.
1: I think it's it's with every cuisine, Simon. That you know, like music. Yeah. You can't hurry in. Yeah. Doing things that needs time. If it needs time, give it time, and that'll give you a great result.
0: I love that. Okay, right. So we we got to the point where you went and had a chat to um, Albert Roux uh, on your dad's advice, saying that you know, yeah, what you're doing is okay, but you know what, you need to step out your comfort zone a little bit. There's you know there are, there are greater things to do. You do a couple of shifts with Albert Rue. So did you work for him or did you just go and? No,
1: I I, I did on my days off. I wow. I did odd service here and there because I I had full time job and I couldn't just go and work for them. So I, he understood and he said, look, I can only teach you what I know or how French kitchen works, but if you pick up something from here. It's for you to take. And what I loved was being in the kitchen with him was great because he was master of ceremony. Yeah. And when he was there in the kitchen, you knew he was there. And Michelle Roux Jr. was sharp, yeah. like anything. So I learned a lot by, from the distance. And thankfully, I was never in their way, so which was great. <laughs> but small advices, which you know he would sit down and have a coffee break with me and tell me uh, how olive oil works, how pigeon should be cooked. Simon, I wouldn't have learned that anywhere else in the world, Yeah, uh, the way he taught me. And then I slowly started practicing those things in my own kitchen. I don't think anybody in this country had ever seen hare or rabbit or venison or pigeon being cooked in Indian kitchen. It was all curry thing. I remember when I opened tamarind doors, one of my suppliers came and gave me a box full of different types of goodies and said, Chef, this is just a gift from us. Try what works for you. But by the way, I'm bringing my wife tonight and I told her it's a great curry house that has opened in Mayfair. (laughs) I looked at him. I said, oh, my God, what do I tell him? He's insulting me. (laughs) But I realized that that's how Indian restaurants were termed. Yeah. That's how people call Indian restaurants. But now Indian restaurants are Indian restaurants and there are curry houses, which I'm not against them. But it's just a big difference. Just a big difference.
0: Did you know? that there was a likelihood that you would get a star. And I I think one of the lovely things with all of the very, very successful chefs that we feature on Grilling, then none of you chase stars. It's almost like, well, what I want to do is produce brilliant food. And getting a star almost feels like, well, that's great because, you know, I've really enjoyed the the process of getting there, but you're not chasing it. But were you aware
1: of the reputation that you were getting? Till 2001, I had this understanding that Michelin stars are not for Indian restaurants. Yeah. I had that in my mind. So I came with that acceptance that it's not for us, it's for European restaurants. So we have to just make our own niche, that's all. And when Star happened, Simon, it took days for me to accept it, that Star has happened. I, I was, I Do you have no idea? No idea. When I got a phone call from Evening Standard, yeah. uh, saying, uh, Atul, you've got a Star. And I, I said, look, you guys are playing prank on me. I've got three bags of onions to peel and a lot of work to do. <laughs> Go away. We'll talk some other day. And I hung the phone and he called back. He said, no, no, I'm, I'm sending the photograph around. Really, you got the star. So we, we want your picture. I don't know how I hung the phone, but I just sat there on the floor and couldn't believe that that has happened. Uh, it was the happiest moment.
0: I bet. What, how, what was the reaction from mum from and dad? Because they've obviously been so important to you.
1: So I, I ran and told dad. Yeah. First thing, the next phone call was to dad. I said, dad, uh, we got a Michelin star. He said, well, isn't that a tire company? I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He said, then, well, they are trying to sell their tires. You get on with your cooking. You're doing all right. <laughs> really? So he, he, he was always like that. He would never take any big as a big thing or never anything down as a smallest thing that has happened to you. He was always very balanced, man. He said, life, life is always best when you're in the middle. Not too high, not too low.
0: So that was 2001 and and an incredible achievement. And also, I guess it made you a real trailblazer for serious Indian cuisine. You know, like you said, you know, you you felt that Indian cuisine wasn't going to be the domain of Michelin stars. And I I do recall around that time that all of a sudden people said, okay, you know what? Indian cuisine isn't a vindaloo when you're drunk on a Friday night. You know, this this is serious cuisine. Were you aware of that?
1: I think I was always aware of that, that Indian cuisine had its own place and uh, there's a lot to offer. What we have seen is very little, not only in this country, but in India as well. You know, I think we didn't respect our own cuisine that much. It has been a journey. Uh, so since we we got the stars and more chefs have joined in, which I'm very proud of, I think there has been a revolution in India also. Some, some of the chefs, the peer chefs that time and now more, lot, a lot more younger chefs, have started taking pride, not only in the regional cuisine of their own, but also trying to unify India's cuisine. You know, that was exactly what you've done. That's what I've done. So I have done a unified cuisine because I didn't want to do a very typical regional cuisine. I wanted to take flavors from all over the country and work with them, purely because of my background, the way I I grew up. I came from Punjab, uh, born and bred in Jamshedpur in East India, studied in Chennai, South India, lived across different parts of the country, came here, embrace the ingredients uh, and everything what what's grown here. So for me to create that marriage was very important for me. Has there ever been any
0: negative response to what you've done?
1: There have been people who have been dismissive of my efforts, to be honest. And uh, I there have been strong critics of what I've done in past or uh, the way I cooked. But to be honest, that has only given me more power. I always took criticism positively. Uh, as a young man, I used to get cheese stuff I don't know why they're saying yeah. that but I always go away and think about it and speak to my dad about it and always message was that there's something to learn if they are criticising something work on it and if something they're criticising that they don't like then it's their problem yeah you leave that there and move on oh phone call that's a bit embarrassing yeah it's actually my mum <laughs>
0: <laughs> say hello <laughs> she probably phoned to criticise something I cooked on Sunday brunch yesterday <laughs> All right. So Banaras, your first place that you opened, where and how did the decision come to say, right, it's time for me to
1: to stride out on my own. So I'd been at uh, Tamarind by then about eight plus years. And I I wanted to go and do something different. And my brief at Tamarind was very simple. They wanted to keep food, very Punjabi food, very North Indian food. And I wanted to go out and explore more because I knew I had so much more to offer. They were quite bent upon, the owners were quite bent upon or they would like to keep the Punjabi street going, which I respected. But I also went and said, uh, I'm planning to open my own restaurant, but if you give me stake in the business, uh, because somebody has offered me, then I will decline that and stay with you. They said, no, it's a family business and we would like to keep it with ourselves, but good luck to you, which was very honest and honorable of them to tell yeah. me very directly, not mess me around. So. By that time, I had met these two gentlemen who wanted to open a restaurant with me.
0: 2004 now, will not we? This
1: was 2003. Three, right. Yeah. So we, we got together and found the site, opened the restaurant. These two gentlemen worked in city, had no clue what a restaurant should be like. They only had money. Yeah. Halfway through, they said, we have run out of money and we can't find any more money. So you get on with it now. <laughs> so the restaurant was half finished. The steps, you know, if you have been to Venice, you remember that. Yeah. S- going beautiful stairs. Yeah. I opened the restaurant, Simon, with no stone slabs on this day. It was metal. <laughs> so we got the metal painted. It looked shabby restaurant when I opened. I'll show you something. And, and it's in the
0: middle of Mayfair. That's the other thing. If you've never been to Banaras, then it is right in the middle of Mayfair.
1: Half, half of the restaurant was kind of boarded up, stroke, yeah. builder's curtains and all that. I had to open the restaurant because there was really, literally no money. He said, I have no money. Go open the restaurant. So I, I was obviously in a I was really cheesed off, and I I wanted to walk away, but that's not me. I just get on with it. So I picked up the pieces and started cooking. Restaurant slowly got busy. So luckily, dining room was finished, bar was unfinished, and the private dining room so we had not even touched it. Slowly, I earned money, and over the next two years, I built the restaurant. How, and how quickly did you get your staff of bananas straight straight away? Or two thousand six.
0: Okay, fine. And yeah,
1: because you know the restaurant was half finished, and yeah. Michelin came to see me. The food is amazing. Dining room looks lovely. You come here. <laughs> what happened here? <laughs> I told them sorry. There was no money. Yeah. So they laughed and they laughed. They said, "You know what'll happen." I said, "Fine. Yeah, I'll get on with it." So I wasn't again chasing the star there as well. I thought, "Let's get it right." I always had this sense. If I open a restaurant, I don't want it to fail. I don't want it to close. I will give everything possible to make it survive. And if accolades come after that, it's okay. Yeah. That restaurant I don't didn't open to get accolades. I opened it as a business to make my livelihood. And that's what exactly I did. So in spite of half-finished restaurant, we never lost a penny on that restaurant wow. from year one.
0: And what happened with, with those original investors then? As you started to make money, then did you stay with them as partners? And, and as you were making money, then you, every little bit was going back into the business?
1: So Simon, you know, I, I was a chef signing the contract and I had no clue what I was doing. So I made my mistakes there. Uh, my contract was such that my hands were tied and they were making all the money. Ah. so after after years of working there then i understand actually i'm not making any money <laughs> so i started asking questions became uncomfortable and then it was always gonna that partnership was gonna break i was gonna buy them out but then it was falling apart it wasn't worth buying so i decided to step out and set up my own restaurant group called atul Kosha restaurants and i set up outside london because of my the way my contract was so
0: wh- when was that at all because I, I remember but remember uh, it happening?
1: I started building small restaurants outside London from 2014 onwards. On your own? On my own. Yeah. So, with, with another family member. Yeah. Uh, but two of us, and he, he needed employment. So, I worked with him. He looked after the restaurants. I gave the cuisine, and I in my spare time, I worked there. But in 2018, I parted company from yep. Benares. I sold my shares back to them, thankfully. Which it hard to do. I
0: mean, you know, cause it, at the end of the day, you know, the reputation for Benares I mean, all of you restaurants have a great reputation, but I mean, proper flagship.
1: Uh, Simon, you know, I, I'd worked incredibly hard knowing that I will own this, or this is mine. But the hidden agenda was that they were always gonna elbow me out. Yeah, Which I didn't see okay. for a long time, unfortunately. And he managed to elbow me out. And then I thought, okay, do I fight and lose time there? Or I go and do it again?
0: And, and that's very you, isn't it? Is yeah. It's like, okay, look, you know what? I'll, I'll, give it, I'll give it my all. This is now not going to work. No matter what I do, this isn't going to get me to the point I want to be. Move on.
1: Exactly. So I moved on. My contract was such that I couldn't do certain things in certain times. So I was allowed to take an employment. So I joined another investment group and opened Kanishka, yeah. So which kept me going. But I have just gone on rampage now that, okay, I'll have my own restaurant group. And I have uh, five at the moment outside London. Uh, And I'm very happy that, you know, this journey has taken a turn. And now I'm in the correct time that I will be able to come back and open my own restaurant in London as well.
0: I have to say as well, there are certain things in your life that you eat that just bring incredible joy. Some of them are kind of complex. Some of them are simple. Some of them just every time you think about them, bring back a memory that is beyond compare. And this is honestly, honestly true. The finest piece of meat i have ever eaten in my life asul kochar is the first time i had your tandoori lamb chops the oh. first time i went to banaras to the point where i as a chef and this sounds very very chefy and very melodramatic i felt i might cry at how beautiful it was <laughs> oh. seriously to the, to this day i have never eaten a piece of meat like it how on earth because they're big, fat, juicy lamb chops that are soft and delicate and moist with the most incredible flavour. To this
1: day, I still don't know how you do it. <laughs> and you're not going to tell me. No, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> it's very simple. So, uh, best of British lamb yeah. to start with. So, uh, I think if you were uh, eating in summertime, I always buy Welsh lamb during that time.
0: It was summertime.
1: So, yeah. it was fantastic. And you know, salt marsh lamb is the best one that goes and takes the marinade really well. And the marinade is made with cream. Uh, fennel, fennel seeds, toasted fennel seeds, black pepper, and mace. And black pepper is the one which actually gives the kick and the flavor, to be Uh honest. Fennel and uh, mace, they kind of calm it down and bring the flavor together. Lime rind and lime juice, not lemon, meat, but lime. Uh, And that's a thing which I learned in India that, you know, for all the barbecue stuff, we always use lime, not lemon. And that brings more flavor out. So it's actually a very simple recipe. And sometimes when meat is quite tough, I use a little bit of uh, grated pa- raw papaya in there uh-huh. to make it mild.
0: So the acidity it breaks down. Breaks it down. Yeah, yeah.
1: Papaya has got this enzyme called papin, which yeah. cuts down the meat meat fibres. And that's it. That's what it is.
0: It's incredible. And in fact, I ate in Vasu the other week, as 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 you well know. And I took some people there who'd never eaten in any of your restaurants. Um, we had to order those, obviously. And uh, it was still joyous. But it is, you know, I, I can honestly say it is... To this day, one of the, the greatest things. And anybody that I've ever sent to Banaras, anybody that I've ever taken to Banaras, then I've always told them that. And exactly the same with all of your restaurants now, you know, in in, in your chain, it's brilliant. I mean, you know. So, so what's next? So you've got five. The aim is to come back into London. Yes. And do you have a date for that? Or is that
1: dependent on uh, finding the right site, the right time? Absolutely. Finding the right site, right time. I think time is never right, in my opinion. But finding the right yeah. site and feeling having a gut feel that this is the place I want so I, I haven't started looking because Vaso is my one of my most ambitious projects I, I want to beautiful thank you beautiful space thank you so we, we are working very hard doing the right thing I'm keeping the menu small the numbers are limited and I don't want to go above certain numbers so you know it's it's a it's a dream project for me yeah. Vaso in a lot of ways and I'm doing everything what I've done in past plus more but once Vaso is slightly more established I think that'll be time for me to come and open one in London
0: Okay, brilliant. All right, now the final thing that we uh, get people to do, I love knowing places that get you excited. So it it can be a restaurant if you want, but it's really nice when people tell me about a coffee shop or a little shack somewhere. It could be anywhere in the world where if you're on your own or more importantly, you're taking me, and we're going to go and say, listen, we're we're in wherever it might be. We've got to go here. Where are you going to take us to at all?
1: Simon, I absolutely love going to old Indian markets. In old Delhi, there is a market called Chavri Bajar. I don't know what the name means, but that name has been there for centuries. And all the spice merchants, all the big vegetable market is there to walk through those lanes and get the smell of all the spices being milled and these vendors sitting there and selling. It's just mind-boggling. I absolutely love that aroma. It transports me back. I don't know how many eras, but I absolutely (laughs) love that. And I think... That's very inspirational for me. When I go there, I, I, I think more. I come back with more flavors, uh, more combinations. So, yeah, that's my place where, where I always like to ah, go on with it.
0: I love it. it there is that thing, isn't it? That, that whole thing. I think one of the lovely things that we've talked about right, right the way through this is that thing about spices and flavors and the way in which they react. Almost in, in quite, a, quite a scientific way. Uh, I love some of the descriptions that, that you've given. Has the way that you've cooked over the years changed, you think?
1: Uh, It has. Uh, You know, I I think I have embraced more Britishness in my food because I use British ingredients and I love and respect them the way they are, the way they are grown, the way they are brought up, uh, and also the way they gel well with the spicy food. So while you were on the techniques, I just wanted to ask you something. Did you come across different types of essence being used in the food? Yes. But was that a new technique? Yes, yes, it
0: was. Yeah, definitely.
1: So growing up in India, Yeah. so going back to this Chavaribha, yeah, there are special vendors who make different types of essence, essential oil, as perfume, so to speak, that work with food. And that is something, a very age-old ancient technique. There are very few people in India left now who do that. Yeah. And that is something I absolutely adore. And I've in recent times, I've started falling in love with it a lot more. Because that's a very old Muslim technique, to be honest, making biryanis and using saffron essence into it. Or they, they call it itar. Itr basically means, which means essence. And they use different types of spices and different combinations to make those special essence for you. And they are really expensive as well in Indian rupees. Yeah. So this is something I want to do next is when I introduce a pot of biryani and I want to bring an essence back for you. And I'll call it Old Delhi Essence for you. And try it and tell me what you think of it. Oh, my goodness. Because if you're ever in India, I would love you to come and see that.
0: You know, I think one of the joyous things about doing this podcast is that the things that you learn and the, the, the passion that all of our guests have, um, it's incredible. And, yeah, I'm I'm up for that. To do a trip to India with you would be right up there. Right up there on one of my favourite things to do <laughs> in the world. I would love
1: to love to roam around
0: with you and show you fine how things are. Any coming. commissioners from Channel 4 watching and <laughs> <then>, uh, <laughs> listening, then uh, do do get in touch. <laughs> at all uh, it, it's it's always a joy to spend time with you. Um you always have so many great stories. Your, your your passion for food and your understated nature are one of your absolute charms. And one of the lovely things about you is that whenever you go anywhere, for example, we've both been doing a bit of work with Tom Kerrige at his pub in the park thing I love it there isn't a human being in our industry who doesn't have a certain level of reverence around you and and it it, but it's true because you're such a charming human being and you're very generous as a human being and I see it with your staff as well as members of the public as well as kind of other chefs as well and it's such a joy to had you on grilling and good luck with your continued success, and uh, we'll compare diaries um, when we finish this, so I can uh, get booked into a uh, come and state yours for. I've a couple, couple of weeks off in September if that kind of works.
1: Absolutely um, works.
0: Brilliant. I'll do the dishes. Tell me when
1: you can I'm happy with that. <laughs> at all, joyous to see you. As Thank ever. you, Simon. Always good to see you. Cheers. right.
0: Thank you so much, to Assel for joining us on Grilling. There is a man who knows his onions. Uh, hopefully, we've given you a few ideas as what's possible in your kitchen and, of course, on your Weber barbecue. Head to Weber.com for plenty more recipe ideas, from aromatic chicken with lemon balm to curry red lentil burgers with mango chutney. Continue on our Indian theme, obviously. And don't forget to check out that £50 discount to their Grill Academies at Weber.com forward slash grilling. Now, do review, rate and subscribe to the podcast if if you haven't already and tell your friends about us too, especially if you really like it, which I do. Grilling was brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues and is an off-script production produced by Ben Backhouse and executive producer Zach Brown.